I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. We are continuing today a series of messages on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, I've been assigned chapter 3 today. But my goodness, it's like, it's like digging in a gold mine. There are just nuggets of precious truth everywhere, and I can't cover them all in the time I have with you. So, so I have selected four that I want to lift up for your attention, particularly today. Our scripture lesson is chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, the Jews, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and kingdoms and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. Please, please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me remind you where St. Paul was when he wrote this letter to the saints in the city of Ephesus. He was in jail, Roman jail, about 60 A.D. He refers to himself as ambassador in chains when he dared to preach that the gospel 
is not just for the Jews, but for non-Jews, for us. That was so, so difficult for the Jews to understand. That made them so angry that they rejected him. Uh, They could not stand that kind of message about the inclusive gospel. And so they had him arrested. Now, you may be thinking, well, thank the Lord that people don't go to jail anymore if they preach the gospel. If you're thinking that, you're wrong. Today, more Christians around the world are in jail for their faith than at any time in history. For example, today the 90-year-old Cardinal Joseph Zinn is under house arrest in Hong Kong. He was formerly Bishop of Hong Kong. What was his offense? He is a trustee in a fund that pays the legal expense for those who are arrested by the communists for peacefully demonstrating, peacefully protesting. The communists consider that a crime. And so they arrested him about a year ago. He was tried in November and found guilty. He's under house arrest now and he's warned that next offense, you go to jail. Cardinal Zinn says that the communists are attempting to silence the church in Hong Kong and in China. As we consider our scripture lesson for the morning, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, I hope you have your Bibles open because we'll almost be going verse by verse because there's so much here. Uh, I'm going to try to lift up four great truths. And the first is this. Paul was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, Brother Bill, he was in a Roman prison. Doesn't that make him a Roman prisoner? No, no. Listen to the first verse. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. You see, many months earlier, when Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem, Jesus spoke to him in a vision and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So, Paul knew way back there that he was destined for Rome. And indeed would testify before the emperor and his life would be ended by Emperor Nero. Paul was in prison for Christ and he turned the prison into a pulpit. You see, he was chained to Roman guards day and night. They served four-hour shifts. Now, if you had asked those Roman guards, is Paul your prisoner? They would say, yep. But if you ask Paul, He would say, they're my prisoner. I got them for four hours. They can't get away. And let me tell you, if a Christian is worth his salt and he's chained to a pagan for four hours and he doesn't share the gospel, something is wrong. And Paul shared the gospel and it took because he wrote to the Christians in Philippi later and he said, because of my imprisonment, The entire palace guard knows I am in chains for Christ. Now, you know, you and I, most of us, complain when our current situation is difficult or dangerous. We don't praise God for it. We usually complain. But it requires some faith, faith to say, Lord, 
could I serve while I'm in this difficult situation? I mean, even though I don't like where I am, is there some opportunity here to serve you, to share the gospel? Even though I may be facing opposition, are there ministries here for me? One of my favorite athletes in America is the Heisman Award-winning football player, Tim Tebow. Uh, he, he has been in, semi, in, in professional football and also baseball. And uh, a sports writer down in Orlando, Florida, wrote an article recently, uh, and he, he wondered why there are many Americans who actually have been rooting against Tim Tebow, hoping he would fail. And when he was cut by the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars two years ago, many, many people cheered. Listen to the, what the sports writer wrote. When did we reach a point in American sports when it became cool to root against one of the most benevolent athletes in America? Tebow has helped build hospitals and orphanages in developing nations. He has fought against human trafficking. He has ministered to prisoners on death row. He annually holds night to shine events where thousands of special needs teenagers are treated to a prom with dinner and dancing. Why does Tebow offend many people? Partly because he has dared to go public with the Christian faith. The NCAA stopped Tim from printing John 3.16 on his eye black. If you go public for Christ, some will resent it. St. Paul paid the price in 60 AD and later. Paul was a prisoner for Jesus Christ, not for Rome. Would we be willing to go to jail for Jesus? Here's the second truth. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for everybody. Paul calls this a mystery or a secret. And listen to Paul describing that secret. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, with the Jews. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now this mystery, this uh, uh, secret was not popular in the first century, and it is still controversial today. You know, folks, one of the sure signs that original sin is still in our DNA is how we respond to differences among people. Now, you would think that we would salute and praise the differences as, as making our society more interesting, uh, more enriching. But oh no, there's something in us that wants to turn differences into something divisive. In fact, if we're honest, we'll admit that that can even happen in our own family. Most of us can sympathize with a little girl named Nan, and she wrote the following letter to God. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> Even in the Old Testament, it was revealed that Gentiles could be saved. But here was the problem. Gentiles and Jews were of different races. 
the Jews considered the Gentiles, particularly those who lived relatively close to Israel, as mixed breeds. And the typical Jew despised Gentiles, would not even speak to them, would not even let the sh their shadow fall on them. Many Jews actually hated Gentiles. And the prejudice, the racial prejudice was so deep and tense in the first century that when St. Paul spoke to a Jewish audience in Jerusalem, they listened attentively until he said the magic word. Until he said that God was going to send him far away to the Gentiles. Oh, when he said Gentiles, the crowd went crazy. Flung off their cloaks, flung dirt in the air, and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. Now folks, what, you, what that was is filthy, unadulterated racism. Racism is still alive and dangerous in America. It's not the same racism that existed 60 years ago when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. led a revolution in America. In those days, whites were in control and they discriminated against black people. And yes, the church was slow to denounce racism. But it belatedly came around to the truth of Scripture and to the vision of brotherhood of all, regardless of race. And thankfully, America experienced a revolution that is continuing today. In fact, the worst thing you can be called in America today is a racist. But racism is a strange sin. You can drive it underground, but you can never kill it. It lurks underground, sticking its finger up occasionally to see how the atmosphere is, whether it's safe to emerge. Today in America, we are seeing a new racism emerged. It's like the old racism in that it wants to bring back segregation. That's right. It wants to separate children within the same classroom. Have the one race sit on one side, the other race on the other. It wants to have separate graduations. The new racism actually discriminates against both races. It regards white people as irredeemable oppressors who cannot be changed. And it labels black people as perpetual victims who cannot possibly succeed on their own. They got to have help from government. In direct opposition to what Dr. King taught, the new racism would make race the single most important personal characteristic. It would divide us into hostile tribes. The new racism is just as racist as the old racism because both of them are inspired by the devil in an attempt to separate God's family. Both are contrary to the God who made people of all races in his image and wants his multicolored people to be live in harmony, peace, and joy. 
The world is composed of different, diverse nations, races, and religions. And the gospel has got to be taken to the whole world. That's Jesus' last command to us. Go and make disciples of all nations. That means we got to go to the Buddhist and the Jewish and the Islamic and the communist nations. The gospel must be shared with everybody, but always with gentleness and humility. You see, our task is not to put down other religions, but to lift up Christ. Here's the third truth I find in this scripture. The best things in life are gifts and are meant to be shared. Paul knew that his salvation and his call to ministry were sheer gifts that he did not deserve. Listen to his words. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians' letter, he says it even more clearly. What do we have? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not. The best things in life were given to us by God and are meant to be shared. Everything except your spouse and your children. Don't share them. They're yours. The very best gift we have is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you became a believer, you also automatically became a messenger of God. Now, you might be thinking, Brother Bill, I don't know how to, to, to share my faith. Don't know how. Well, friend, that thought is inspired by the devil in an attempt to keep you silent. You have a storehouse of experiences that Christ can use as bridges into other people's hearts. As the Bible says, those who believe in the Son of God have the testimony of God in them. Rick Warren, who wrote the classic book, The Purpose Driven Life, suggests that, that we divide our testimony into four parts. And I'm going to list the four and I'm going to, I'm going to mention them twice because you may want to write these down. Um, four parts that a Christian testimony can be uh, divided into first what my life was like before I met Jesus what my life was like before I met Jesus now there's some of you here that can't remember when you didn't love Jesus even as a kid of four five six years old uh, you had been taught already to love Jesus and that's wonderful that's wonderful so you can actually skip this first part all you have to do is say look I can't remember a time when I didn't love Jesus because I was taught so early. Part two to your testimony is this. How I realized I needed Jesus. How I realized I needed Jesus. Here again, if you were a five-year-old believer in Jesus, then you, you, can go, you can sort of skip over that part too. But uh, in many ways, folks who came to Jesus later are blessed here because they've got a contrast they can point to and share. Part three is how I committed my life to Jesus. How I committed my life to Jesus. How and when. Now everybody ought to have that. Because no matter how young you were when you first came to love Jesus, you had to make a decision at some point. 
to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And how and when you did that should always be uh, front and center in your heart and you must always be ready to share that. And then fourth and finally, the difference Jesus has made in my life. The difference Jesus has made in my life. Oh, and that's glorious to share. Now, maybe you're thinking, Brother Bill, my testimony will never be impressive enough or persuasive enough to convert somebody. You know what? You're right. But there's nothing wrong with that because it's not your job. That's God's job. That's God's job. Only God. Not even the late Billy Graham could convert somebody or change their heart. That's God's job. And as an example of that, when, when St. Paul went to the uh, city of Philippi, uh, it, the Bible says that on his first Sunday there, uh, he went outside the gate out by the river because he had heard there were some people who gathered there regularly for prayer. And he went out there and he found a, a group of women. And within that group was a successful businesswoman named Lydia. Well, he shared the gospel with them. And this is what the Bible says. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Doesn't say that Paul opened her heart. God did. Only God can open somebody's heart. Only God can make a convert. But he will often use our words and actions, no matter how bumbling or stumbling they might be. By grace, God enabled Paul to preach the gospel. Now, you and I are not apostles. You may not think of yourself as an evangelist. And you may wonder, I don't know if God can use me to spread the word about him at all. Let me tell you this. If you are open and willing, God will give you opportunities for sharing your faith. He'll almost ring a little bell in your brain. Almost to saying, that person that you work with, that's in your neighborhood, that you just happen to bump into, needs a, a, a brief word of witness. They don't need a sermon right then. They just need a brief word. That's all, that's all God needs out of you. And God will make your words natural, loving, and compelling. Uh, the pastor, James Moore, tells a story about a secretary who shared an ethical concern with her boss. Uh, the company was start getting ready to enter into a contract that she thought was ethically, morally questionable. And so she shared her concern with the boss. He didn't appreciate it at all. He was irritated. And so he said to her, where did you get that crazy idea from that funny little church you go to? Well, that hurt her feelings. And for a few moments, she was speechless. But then God gave her the perfect response. She said, I'm glad my funny little church is showing. And you and I can be glad if our big church is showing led by the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the fourth and final truth I find in Ephesians 3. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
Paul wrote, in him, Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You know, if most of us meet a famous person, be it U.S. Senator, Governor of a State, movie star, we would be anxious. We would be a little bit afraid we might say or do something inappropriate. But you know what? There is somebody a whole lot greater than any human celebrity. And that's God Almighty. And we can approach him with complete comfort. He knows everything about us, good and bad. And he loves us anyway. And when we received his son as our Savior and Lord, he adopted us as his children. So we have a right to call him Father. And if we share anything that's a concern to us, you can be sure if it's big enough to concern us, it's big enough to concern our Heavenly Father. Now some of my liberal friends uh, focus a whole lot of attention on pronouns. Pronouns among people and uh, they are very reluctant to use any pronoun with reference to God. He, him, whatever. <clears throat> and they even try to stay away from the word father because that's definitely masculine, you know. Even though everybody with good sense ought to know God does not have a sexual nature. And the reason they do this, I understand it, they, they believe that there are some women who have had unpleasant experiences with their earthly fathers, and therefore it would be a problem for them to think of God as father. I understand that, but I disagree with it. Uh, first, if we do not address God as father, we are not following the example of Jesus. He did it over 200 times in the New Testament. In fact, he used this Aramaic word, Abba, A-B-B-A, -B -B -A, which means not just father, it's the affectionate, uh, informal term, closer to our English, daddy, daddy. Yeah, that's the way Jesus talked to God. And, you know, if it was good enough to Jesus, it's good enough for me. I think it's always unwise to improve on Jesus. Don't you agree? Now, my second reason for using the word uh, Father rather than just God is if God is our only term for God, it tends to make God less personal, more remote, sort of like the higher power or the force. But Father is a much more intimate term. And God wants us to have an intensely personal relationship with him. What a joy it is to refer to him as not just our God, but our heavenly father. Now, when we think about Paul in that prison in Rome, 60 AD, and we think about Cardinal Zen today under house arrest in Hong Kong, we are reminded of this prediction from Jesus. If they persecuted me, you remember what comes next? They will persecute you also. If they persecuted me, that's not a guess on Jesus' part. 
That's not a maybe. That's a prediction. They will persecute you also. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Our salvation is free, praise God. It was paid for by what Jesus did on that cross, his precious blood shed for us. He paid the premiums. For us it's free. But if we choose to pick up our cross and become a Christian disciple, it will be costly. It will be costly. There's no free discipleship. Alan Payton, who wrote a classic work, Ah, But Your Land is Beautiful. This South African author wrote this. When I get to heaven, which is my intention, the big judge will say to me, where are your wounds? Where are your wounds? And if I say I don't have any, he will say, was there nothing down there worth fighting for? And Alan Payton says, I couldn't stand that question. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, make us so secure in our relationship with you that we will not be willing to compromise your standards to please our secular culture. Make us bold enough to say to anybody, Jesus Christ has made my life wonderfully different. Show us how to be firm but humble, confident but winsome as we speak the truth in love. Amen. And now let us stand and sing, Where He Leads Me.